Chapter Four of the Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. Daily, to the tick of the clock, at the appointed hour, Henry Haley was at Mr. Scriven's counting house, and earnestly and steadily did he apply. He became a great favourite with the head clerk and the cashier, whom he assisted alternately and a quick and intelligent mind and retentive memory enabled him in ten days to master more than many other lads of his age would have acquired in as many months mr scriven himself he seldom saw but that gentleman found that he was very useful and likely to become more so and he was inclined to regret that insuperable objections would prevent him from retaining him as a clerk he suffered no hint of his intentions to escape to the youth himself however till he had found the sort of person he wanted for his office and henry was indulging sanguine hopes and preparing to tell his father all that had occurred when mr scriven dashed his expectations to the ground at once by informing him with all decent civility that in a week a new clerk would come to fill the place he had lately been occupying you have now seen enough of mercantile life my young friend he added to judge whether it is likely to suit your tastes or not i think you seem well fitted for it and if you decide upon such pursuits i will do all i can to assist you with this promise henry haley was obliged to content himself but he returned home sad and he soon had occasion for deeper anxiety mr haley was out all the evening and a greater part of the night his sister was evidently in an agony of expectation and from some casual words she dropped as well as from almost instinctive suspicions in his own heart the lad could not help fearing that his father had betaken himself to the gaming-table again he sat up with miss haley till her brother came home but though mr haley's face was pale and his eye haggard with strong excitement it was evident that he was elated not depressed the truth is he had won a considerable sum of money and to use the idiot expression of persons of his habits it seemed that the luck had turned in his favour the next morning just as he was going out an execution was put into the house it is true the money was paid immediately but it showed henry clearly for the first time how low his father's means had been reduced he now resolved at once to tell mr haley what he had done to explain to him his feelings and his wishes without reserve and to beseech him in existing circumstances not to send him back to eton but to obtain for him the office of clerk in some mercantile house with a good deal of timidity but with that grace which springs from the warmth of natural affection he executed the task without giving himself time to shrink from it mr haley listened with utter astonishment and for some moments seemed not to know what to reply his first answer consisted of nothing but broken incoherent fragments of sentences and exclamations you henry you he cried you acting as clerk to that fellow scriven the rascal he has cheated me out of thousands and does not even pay what he acknowledges he owes me forsooth there may be other claims to debase you to be his servant after a moment or two he became more collected however though he remained greatly agitated through their whole conversation no henry he continued turning to the subject of his son's future prospects no a mercantile life is not fitted for you nor you for it 
I cannot consent. Neither do I think it will be needful. This pressure is but temporary, and I trust something will turn up to set things to rights. Then he paused and walked up and down the room for several minutes in deep thought, and then turning again to Henry, he took his hand, saying with sorrowful gravity, I must not conceal from you, my dear boy, that affairs are very bad with me at present. Mr. Scriven's unjust, tyrannical, and pitiful conduct has done all that he could do to ruin me. But he shall not succeed by—he shall not succeed. This does not affect you, however. There is—there is a little something settled upon you, and no Scriven on earth can hurt you. There is quite enough to pay for your education at Eton, so do not let that trouble you. But I think you could do me a service, Henry, though you are very young, my dear boy, to trust with such things. Yet it is the only way. Still, I do not like to ask you. Oh, name it, my dear father, name it, exclaimed Henry. Do you not know that, if it were my life, I would willingly lay it down for you? Oh, your life, replied Mr. Haley, smiling no it is nothing so important as that it is only to execute a task which i have a foolish reluctance to undertake myself the fact is this pressure is but temporary and and ten days will see it all at an end yet in the course of those ten days i have several thousand pounds to pay and look here henry this is all i have in the world to pay it with and opening a drawer he showed him about two hundred pounds in gold adding there is not a sixpence at the banker's but what can i do demanded henry haley with youthful terror at the dark prospect so suddenly placed before him i have got ten pounds upstairs but that is nothing nothing indeed answered mr haley with a faint smile and there is only one person to whom i can apply for assistance yet i have shrunk from telling him the whole though i have written giving him some notion of my state i mean my friend lord mellant but he is absent exclaimed henry i went down to harley lodge and found he was in the north that is true said mr haley and doubtless his close attendance on his father a violent harsh and capricious man at all times and now rendered probably more exacting by sickness has prevented him from answering my letter now henry what i wish you to do for me is this go down to lord mellant in the north see him and tell him exactly the state of my affairs i have not nerve for it myself for i will be candid with you henry driven almost to madness i have done many things which i regret and which i will never do again mellant would ask me many questions he will ask you none he is my oldest friend in the world and has always as you know shown a very great fondness for yourself he will not, I am sure, refuse you, if you ask him to lend me two thousand pounds for but one month. But press him warmly. Tell him it must be done directly if he would save me from ruin. If he hesitates, make it your own request, and get him to give you a draft for it. Then hurry up as speedily as possible, for remember, if I have it not in seven days, I am lost.' "'But if he has not got as much ready money as two thousand pounds?' said Henry. "'He has! He has!' exclaimed Mr. Haley vehemently. "'He had nine thousand pounds at his banker's when he went away.' "'Then I am sure he will lend it,' replied Henry in a confident tone. "'I am quite certain.' 
"'I think so, too,' said Mr. Haley. "'I have no doubt you will succeed.' "'Oh, yes, to a certainty,' answered the inexperienced boy. "'I will just write a note to Mr. Scriven saying that I cannot attend any longer, and then I am ready to set out.' "'You must travel by the mail, my dear boy,' replied Mr. Haley. "'So you will have time enough. "'We cannot afford post-horses now, Henry. "'As to writing to Mr. Scriven, let me see. "'Yes, you had better write, "'and I would moreover advise you to go there no more. "'He has used me shamefully, and he knows it. "'I must see him from time to time on business, "'but all friendship is at an end between us for ever.' "'I shall certainly not go to one who has treated my father in such a manner,' replied the lad, "'and I will write to him directly, telling him merely that I do not intend to visit his counting-house any more.' Thus saying, he left the room, and Mr. Haley continued for several minutes buried in deep thought. At length he said in a low tone, "'He will lend it, certainly. Oh, yes, he will not refuse the boy.' If he does send the money, and I think he will, he must, then I could take up the bill before it becomes due. He then opened the drawer again, took out a small tin case, and from that drew forth a long slip of paper with a stamp at one end, and a few brief lines written on the face. He gazed at it for a moment, and then thrust it back again, saying, "'I won't till the last extremity. "'Yet I have a right. He owes me the money.' and should have paid it without this quibbling evasion i'm a partner of the house too till it is paid i have a right to consider myself but still he closed the drawer and locked it putting the key in his pocket about an hour after a gentleman was admitted to mr haley a stern-looking business-like person who remained with him for about half an hour and their conversation was somewhat loud and stormy so at least it seemed to the servants in the hall. When the visitor came forth, his face was flushed, and holding the door in his hand, he said aloud, "'Not another hour, sir! Not another hour! Twelve to-morrow, and if not, why—' "'My dear sir,' said the voice of Mr. Haley imploringly. "'My dear sir, stuff and nonsense!' cried the other. "'I am not your dear sir!' And he walked out of the house." Mr. Haley passed two or three hours alone. His sister Rebecca was very anxious, and made an excuse to go to his sitting-room, but she found the door locked, and her brother from within begged not to be disturbed, as he was busy with accounts. Henry walked away to the mail-office and took a place for the north. He had no spirits to call on any one, and returned slowly. He did not reach home till about half-past three. "'Your papa has been asking for you, sir,' said the servant who admitted him, and almost at the same moment Mr. Haley opened his door, saying, "'Henry! Henry! Here! I want you!' Henry entered the room, and Haley put in his hands a slip of paper with a stamp upon it, which he had been gazing at some hours before, but there was now something written across it. "'I wish you would take that, my dear boy, to my bankers, and ask to see Mr. Stolterforth, the head partner.' "'You know Mr. Stolterforth, I think?' "'Oh, very well,' replied the lad. "'Well, then, give him that, and say I should feel very much obliged to him "'if he will let me have a thousand pounds upon it. "'He will do it directly, I am sure, and perhaps may offer to discount it, "'for it is for eighteen hundred, and has only seven days to run. 
but you may tell him i do not want to put it into circulation because you see it was given by mr scriven in settlement of an account which is not yet finally made up and there may be some difference i do not know what a few hundred pounds you understand mr haley's hand shook a great deal as he gave the lad the paper and he seemed to think it needed some explanation for when henry replied that he understood perfectly his father added it annoys me very much to do this at all for if scriven were to know it my credit would be seriously injured by it you may tell mr stolterforth that and mind you let him know i do not want it to get into circulation henry promised to do so and putting on his hat again walked quietly away to the bankers being well known there he was admitted at once to the head partner showed him the accepted bill and delivered his message calmly and accurately the banker at once agreed to do what was required asked him several questions indeed which he could not answer but showed no hesitation and after one or two formalities gave him the money which he chose to have principally in gold thinking it might be more convenient for his father's payments henry then got into a hackney coach and drove away mr haley was dreadfully pale when his son returned to him but he seemed rejoiced to see the money and immediately proceeded to speak of henry's journey he gave him twenty pounds in gold and then added fifty pounds in five pound notes which henry would fain have declined saying he would have no use for them but mr haley urged that accidents might occur and impressed upon him strongly that he must be up before that day week adding should it be necessary take a chaise for time may be more valuable than money the lad's portmanteau was soon packed some dinner was provided for him and at the proper hour he set out for the coach office took his seat and was carried away from london mail coaches were then the quickest conveyances the northern mail was supposed to travel at the rate of eight miles an hour including stoppages and on the young man was hurried from the capital towards northumberland squeezed up in a hot summer night with an enormously fat woman and a tolerably stout man the distance he had to go was about three hundred and twenty miles and the town where he was to get out was belford between which place and wooler the mansion of the earl of milford was situated farther he knew nothing of his road except that at belford he should be able to obtain information night set in soon after he left london and both his companions were speedily asleep for they were of the taciturn breed on which even the aspect of youth has no more effect than beauty upon a stone they snored hard and sonorously especially the man woke up for a moment into half slumbering consciousness while the horses were being changed and then were as sound asleep as ever wherever provisions were to be had indeed the lady roused herself and proceeded to the business of the hour with marvellous activity considering her age and weight but at most other times she was as silent as her companion who seemed to consider that locomotion was the proper and natural stimulus to slumber the forty weary hours passed at length very few words having been spoken but the mail was not yet at belford indeed it never was and two more hours went by before the small town appeared it was at that time very dull and dirty and as he looked up at the sign of the old bell henry felt the place had a sort of desolate aspect which made the prospect of sleeping at milford castle very pleasant in comparison 
the landlord of the bell however had no intention of suffering him to depart so easily milford castle he assured him was full sixteen miles to the westward and when henry replied that the distance did not matter as he must go on that night having business to transact the worthy host discovered that all his horses were out and would not return till two or three in the morning as there was no other house in the town which kept post-horses henry was obliged to be content and ordering a light dinner he determined to sit and doze by the fire till the horses returned the landlord so contrived however what between the necessity of giving food and rest to cattle which were all the time in the stable and the late hour at which they were reported to return from a journey they had never made that the young traveller was obliged to remain all night and breakfast the next morning at the bell still little more than eight-and-forty hours had passed since he had left london when once more he was on the way again he had been allowed six whole days to complete his task and the coming time to the mind of youth is always long in proportion to the shortness of the past it was a bright morning when he set out again for milford and all looked gay and hopeful but fatigue and impatience had done much to diminish confidence and the way seemed interminably long the postboy preternaturally slow halfway there it was found necessary to stop and feed the horses and although henry endeavoured with a look of importance to enforce the necessity of great speed he was too young for his commands to be received with any great deference at about nine o'clock however a little village between bare high banks presented itself a mere hamlet with a chandler's shop and a public-house and shortly after were seen large gates and a lodge the gates were opened by an old woman who seemed like the few stunted trees around to have been bent by the prevailing wind but a drive of two miles through the large wild park was still before the young traveller the scenery certainly improved and gave him some objects of interest to look at the trees became large and fine pleasantly varied hill and dale succeeded to round-backed rises and occasional glimpses of an old grey mansion-house caught his eyes as he strained his sight out of the front windows of the chaise the house disappeared again in thick plantations as he got nearer and it was with surprise that he found himself suddenly driving up to the doors he was too much accustomed to good society to feel anything like shyness but yet he was somewhat anxious and advancing his head as near the window as possible without putting it out he looked up over the house with some curiosity as the postboy rang the great bell to his consternation he perceived that all the windows were closed and bidding the driver open the door he jumped out no one answered the summons of the bell and he rang it again after waiting several minutes it required a third application to bring any one out and then it was merely a slipshod country servant who came round from the back of the house without condescending to open the great doors her first salutation was what do you want man don't you know that the old lord is dead and they are gone to take the corpse over to wales to the place where they're all buried henry professed his ignorance of all this and anxiously desired to know where the young lord was to be found the girl however could give him no information but referred him to the steward who lived across the park only adding it's a pity you didn't come this time yestermorn for then you'd have found the young lord and the old lord too only he was dead poor body to the steward's house 
Henry then betook himself, but the steward himself was out, and his wife could only tell the visitor that he was likely to find the present earl at Carmarthen, as he was to meet the body of his father there, the family vault being in that neighbourhood. An Eton boy's knowledge of geography at the age of fifteen or sixteen is not usually very great, for the most important objects of education are generally those the most neglected in this happy country but still henry was aware that he would be nearer carmarthen at wooler than at belford the driver was indeed unwilling to go that road and his reluctance was only overcome by a promise of good payment the greater part of the day however was wasted by all the delays he had encountered and although he was resolved to go on under any circumstances and find his father's friend yet the journey was a long one and he felt puzzled and apprehensive luckily at wooler he found an intelligent landlord who gave him some serviceable information regarding the line of his journey and after writing a brief note to mr haley informing him of what had occurred he resumed his expedition resolved to travel night and day this was not so easily achieved as determined but i need not follow him through all the difficulties that beset him suffice it that at preston his gold fell short and he was obliged to change one of the notes which had been given him by mr haley this occurred again before he reached carmarthen for though he was anxious to pursue his course as economically as possible stage-coaches were scanty their hours were often inconvenient and he recollected with a feeling of apprehension the last expression of his father time is more valuable than money eagerly i might say vehemently he hurried on but still the long long journey from one side of the island to the other occupied far more time than he had expected sometimes horses could not be had at others a whole hour was wasting rousing ostlers and postboys then came slow drivers and hilly countries bad roads and worse horses the fifth day from that of his departure was drawing towards its close when at length he reached carmarthen weary exhausted and feeling ill still before he took any refreshment at the inn he inquired for the family seat of the earl of milford the waiter could tell him nothing about it the landlord was sent for and proved more communicative it lay at twelve or thirteen miles distance he said but if you have come for the funeral sir he added looking at the lad with a good deal of interest you're too late it took place early this morning and the new lord that is lord mellant as was passed through about four hours ago on his way back to london i must follow him directly said henry almost wildly i have business of the greatest importance with him then you'd better take a place in the mail sir said the landlord it starts from this house and you will save more time by it than by posting it starts at two and it's now nine but between this and town you'll lose more than five hours by getting out horses and slow going henry's experience showed him that what the good man said was true the mail must bring him into london just at the beginning of the fatal seventh day by posting he might delay his arrival and he thought if he reached his father's house by five in the morning there would still be time enough before business hours began for mr haley to see the earl and obtain his assistance his course therefore was soon determined his place in the mail secured and during the time he had to stay he endeavoured to refresh and strengthen himself for his onward journey even in the gay and bounding days of youth the mind is in sad slavery to the body 
fatigue and exhaustion will make the aspect of all things gloomy and rest and food will restore their brightness the landlady at carmarthen was a good kind motherly woman and taking the weary young traveller into her parlour she soon provided him with a light supper and a few glasses of wine added revived the lad's spirits greatly he eased the aching of his limbs by walking up and down the room and when the mail was ready to start felt quite equal to the fatigue there was no other passenger on the inside and he amused himself as best he could sometimes by sleeping sometimes after daybreak by gazing out at the prospect at length night began to fall again and henry fell asleep once more he was awakened by the coach stopping to change horses all was ready and in haste the beasts were put to but while he was looking out of his window there was a good deal of bustle at the inn door and he saw something carried in by three or four men he had no time however to make inquiries for the coachman was mounting his box and the next moment the mail dashed off two stages farther on it was announced to him that a quarter of an hour was allowed for supper and as he got out he inquired of the guard what was the matter a couple of stages behind why the gentleman's carriage had been overturned at the bridge sir replied the guard and he had been stunned with what they call a concussion of the brain mrs white said so they were carrying him in that's what you saw i dare say do you know who he was demanded henry with feelings of unaccountable alarm oh yes sir replied the man i saw him at carmarthen yesterday it's the young lord whose father's just dead and buried he's like enough to be soon dead and buried too for he's badly hurt and his carriage all dashed to smash a moment of bewildering uncertainty succeeded henry asked himself first should he go back then for what purpose but he soon saw that to do so would serve none he could not see and speak to lord mellant in such a state and he resolved to hurry on though to be the bearer of such disastrous tidings to his father made his heart sink he ate no supper he slept no more the driver and horses being good he arrived at the general post office a little after four a hackney coach was soon obtained the guard and coachman were feed and before five he was at his father's house the instant the coach stopped the door was opened by mr haley himself and henry sprang out to meet him put the portmanteau in the hall and wait said mr haley to the coachman and holding henry's hand he led him towards his own sitting-room the lad saw that his father was pale and haggard and he dreaded the effect of what he had to tell but still he would not delay and even as they went to the room the main facts were poured forth to his surprise mr haley seemed hardly to listen and when they were in the study he locked the door and gazed earnestly at the boy his words were short sharp and to the lad seemed wild henry he said you love me i think do you not henry gazed in his face utterly astounded i know you do his father added i'm sure you do now my dear boy you can prove it you can save my life my honour how how cried the boy i will do all anything you please my dear father only tell me what it is henry to get into that coach again and drive down to blackwall you will there find a steamer ready to start for rotterdam at six in the morning embark in her from rotterdam go up the rhine through germany to italy 
and stay at Ancona till you hear from me. Here are money and a passport. But why? Why? asked the boy earnestly. Oh, tell me all, for fear I make any mistake. Mr. Haley grasped his arm very tight, and bending down his head, whispered in a voice hardly audible, yet stern too. Henry, that bill which you took to the bankers was forged. I forged it. If you stay, you must stay to be a witness against me, and condemn me to death. The young man sank down in a chair with a face so pale that his father thought he was going to faint. "'Here, take some wine,' he said, pouring him out a tumblerful from the decanter that stood on the table, and Henry drank it all. His father gazed upon his face with a look of agonised expectation, while the lad put his hand to his head as if to recover his scattered thoughts. "'But they will say I did it,' he murmured at length. "'I shall be an exile for ever, and never see you more.' "'They will say you did it,' replied Mr. Haley. They think even now you did it. I was obliged to deny I sent you, even to gain time. For it was discovered last night, and an officer set off into Northumberland immediately to seek you. Do as you will, Henry. You now know all. But if you stay, I will go and give myself up directly. You shall see me again if you go, for as soon as the inquiry is over, I will come and join you but no time is to be lost your resolution must be taken in five minutes i will go i will go said the lad faintly but oh my father give me means of proving my innocence hereafter i have it ready said mr haley i have thought of all prepared all look here and taking up a paper he read i stephen haley acknowledge that the acceptance of mr henry scriven to a bill I need not read all that, was forged by me, and that my son took it to Messrs. Stolterforth's by my orders, without knowing it to be forged. Then I further state, as you may see, that you go abroad to save me. Now, Henry, my life is in your hands. Act as you like. And sinking down into a chair, he covered his eyes with his hands. The next instant, Henry's hand laid upon his arm. I am going, he said. "'Farewell, my father. Farewell.' "'Stay, stay,' said Mr. Haley, starting up. "'Remember the passport, and the money, too. "'Here are two hundred Napoleons. They go everywhere.' "'Ah, oh, Henry, dear, good lad, "'your consolation must be that you have saved your father's life.' "'Henry made no reply, but the tears fell over his cheeks. "'Mr. Haley pressed him to his heart.' It was a selfish one, but still gratitude did mingle with rejoicing for his own safety. In five minutes more he was on the coach, and another portmanteau which had been prepared for him the night before by his father, bearing marked upon it Henry Calvert, Esquire, passenger by city of Antwerp. On looking at the passport he found the same name therein, and saw, for that Mr. Haley had forgotten to explain, that he was to take that name during his flight. In about three-quarters of an hour he stood upon the deck of the vessel, and in ten minutes after his embarkation she was quickly going down the river. The same morning, on the arrival of the Newcastle mail, two officers in plain clothes had walked up to the side, and examined every passenger both inside and outside. There were in all three men and two women, but neither of the men bore the least resemblance to Henry Haley, 
and the officers turned their attention to the coach offices. The Carmarthen mail escaped unexplored. An examination into the affair took place that day at Bow Street, but it was proved that Henry had, unknown to Mr. Haley, frequented the counting-house of Mr. Scriven for more than a fortnight. That he was anxious to conceal his doing so from his father, that on the very morning of his departure for Northumberland he had written to Mr. Scriven to say that he should come no more, but at four o'clock that day he had obtained money upon the forged bill, and then gone, no one rightly knew whither, further than that his journey was towards Northumberland. For Mr. Haley took care to give no explanations on that head. A thousand little circumstances of no great value, such as some small bills at Eton left unpaid, tended to make up a mass of evidence against him and thus the guilty escaped if not without doubts yet without any charge against him while the whole weight of suspicion fell upon the innocent boy who was sailing away over the sea to rotterdam End of chapter four